What's up guys, welcome to today's money. Thank you for listening, I appreciate you being here. If you'd like to watch the video version of this podcast, there's a link for that in the description. And if you wanna jump right into the podcast, skip the next 30 seconds of ad space. What's up everybody, welcome back. We have a very special video today. I am not only joined by Matt, who has been a frequent of the show, but we have a special guest, Mr. Mark Moss. Mark, I appreciate you being here, man. It's good to finally meet you. Yeah, thanks so much. I mean, it was great to meet you. We've had a good talk so far, and I'm excited to dig into this. Yeah, so I, you know, I definitely watch your videos. I stay up to date on the content you're talking about, not because you're, you know, a great looking, smooth talking guy, but I think you do a lot of research that impresses me. And when I watch, I mean, you know, you watch YouTube videos, people can just say stuff and play dramatic music and a cool graphic and boom, that's a true fact. But yeah. when you bring it to the table, you're bringing research, you're bringing statistics, and that's like right up my alley because I ask questions more than anybody. So I really appreciate the research and effort that you put into your videos. So today I have some questions for you, just touching on some of, like I said, like the hot topics that you've been focused on. So my first thing, and I've seen some videos about this on the internet, but you really explain it well. Can you give us like an overview of right now, the great reset that the World Economic Forum has put out. It's on their website. A lot of people are talking about it, but not a lot of people fully understand it. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll jump right into the fire. Yeah, um, yeah <laughs> we're here. First thing I would say is uh, I appreciate you saying that. Um, uh, there are a lot of people saying a lot of things. And um, one, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit older. Um, I'm, I'm actually kind of old. And so like I've been through like a lot of cycles. I got some serious like war wounds. So I definitely have the experience, but um, I try to always bring like fact. So like, uh, you know, when I work with Matt and, and the editors and I like want to make sure that like I even show it on the screen because I don't want people to think I'm just giving them a bunch of fluff. So everything I try to do is like factual. So anyway, I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy Absolutely. to hear that. appreciate that, that you noticed that. Absolutely. Um, so, so jumping into the, jumping into the fire here. Um, yeah. The great reset. I mean, it's a big deal and you know, we have basically, I, you know, it's not conspiracy, it's on their website. And when you really want to understand what it is, you know, we can look at kind of like the pandemic that's been happening in the United States and whatnot. And a lot of people, well, it's happening, obviously global. Um, but a lot of people in the US were thinking, oh, this was to get rid of the president. And this is about, you know, changing over the president and this and that. And oh, when, when we get a new president, it all goes away and things like that. But as we're seeing, it's not going away. And the reason why is because it's way bigger than the United States. This is right. a global move. So the world is really, uh, we've been moving to this level of globalism. And so you have like globalism or you have like nationalism. And so Trump is a nationalist. Like he wants to make, the, make America great again. That was a slogan, yep. right? Yep. I, let's make America great. We're nationalists. Globalists want to just push everything globally. And we've really been, there's a book written on this called The Pendulum. It's a great book. And basically, it talks about how there's this pendulum that swings, and every 40 years, the world goes from we, which is we collectivism, globalism, and it mm. shifts to me or individualism. And every 40 years, so it's an 80-year round trip cycle. And, uh, and this, you can trace this back, the book traces it back for thousands of years. That's and so we finished the individualism cycle and started shifting towards this globalism cycle about 40 years ago. So I was at the end of World War II. And at the end of World War II is when, um, when the UN was formed. Right. That's when the Euro started getting formed. And so right. all these things, right? And we are now maxing out at that peak of globalism. And then the, sh the tide will turn. We'll start going back the other way. Um, there's a bunch of different cycles that kind of point to this. You may have heard of the fourth turning and whatnot, but 
Mm -hmm. We're not going to all that right now. So the world is kind of being taken over by these, what are called NGOs. They're non-government organizations. And so really it's the UN, which I'm sure everybody's heard of, I just mentioned. And then we have the World Economic Forum, the World, world Economic Forum, World Trade Organization, World Health Organization, and the IMF. And so these are unelected officials that are literally running the world, right? And uh, so the World Economic Forum has this event planned for next year. They're calling it the Great Reset. And again, it's not conspiracy. I encourage everyone to go right to the website. Great, I'll link uh, it below too. WorldEconomicForum.com slash Great Reset. Um, and they basically are telling us what they are trying to do. They don't. They leave some up up, up for opinion, obviously. Uh, but their slogan is basically by 2030, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, right? So, okay, well, some Scary. people want to debate what that means. And so there leaves, there's a little bit left for opinion there. But some of the people that work for the um, WF, so you can go onto their website, and there's like several blog articles that have been written that really talk about what that vision is. And uh, when you read it, it's, it's chilling, man. It's chilling. Yeah, it is. It, it's kind of something almost like, conspiratorial you know what i mean and that's why i'm glad that you said throughout that like this isn't conspiracy go to the website check the fact how do you justify this like when you talk to people and when you do your research for your videos to not get into that conspiracy theory stuff like how do you explain it to people that no this is real like these are people that are put i mean i'm sure they're paying for their position in that think tank or in that group or whatever it may be because like you said they're not elected so these are people that are paying their way in there most likely or getting put there for a reason so it, it looks conspiratorial, you know what I mean? So it's hard, I think, to walk that line. So yesterday I listened to this podcast, it, and uh, it, was, uh, it was actually the Mike Dillard podcast, and, and it was an episode on um, NLP, so mm -hmm. Neuro Linguistic Programming. Yep. So all, all marketers use NLP. Um, Tony Robbins is really big on NLP, and it's a, it's, a ba it's a way that you use words to program people, and you basically go past the conscious mind, and it goes directly into the subconscious. Right. So um, I know about NLP. I've been studying marketing in this for a long time, right? Well, what was interesting is this was a podcast talking about NLP specifically, and what they're talking about is how the media is using NLP to program people. And so mm -hmm. what it does, and, and you wonder why peace, like half the people are out of their minds with, you're not wearing a mask, you're killing people. Like, where do they get that from? Donald Trump's a racist. <laughs> really? The media. So, the media. So, well, so, I know it's easy to say that, but the way that they're doing it is they're using NLP and people are literally hypnotized to believe this. Like they're, yeah. they're brainwashed, right? So anyway, um, I say that just because we have to be aware of that. That's the first step. But when you talk about the conspiracy, even that itself is also like is NLP. So the CIA came up with that term, right? Right. Uh, I'm so glad theory. you mentioned that. Yep. And so, um, and oh, that must be conspiracy, conspiracy. Well, do you understand what the definition of the word conspiracy is? No, people is? don't. They don't. It's two or more people conspiring to do something, you know, behind the back of somebody else. And I would argue that that happens millions of times every single day. Me and my wife conspire against our kids all the time all the time me and my wife are always conspiring i mean two people are always getting together to agree so like the very definition of the word what does that mean do do you believe there's two people in the world economic forum that are planning to do i mean of course there are so <laughs> the word the word is is it, so it's like the itself. word conspiracy theory that idea created by the cia like you're saying which we know is true it uses that NLP to penetrate deeper and it, and like already that word has yeah. a stigma to it that it isn't actually what it means. What were you going to say, Matt? 
I was going to say that it, Mark brought up the brainwash thing and the conspiracy thing. So, and he did touch on the CIA, how they are the one who actually brought that word about. And it was after the JFK assassination, right? right. So now if you jump back to the 90s and Mark was talking about NLP, there was a, a, a Russian group, I believe it was like KGB or something like that. And it's exactly what Mark was saying, how if they bombard the brain enough with the same messages, even if the messages are saying like bananas are blue, if you bombard that message long enough and enough, eventually when you bombard the person with the fact, they will disregard that as fact and believe bananas are blue. And that's where we are in today's age. We have yeah. an era where everybody is just completely bombarded with messages. Let's say you don't watch TV. It doesn't matter. You have a TV in your pocket. You have a TV every time you look at your screen and it's always being bombarded with messages. And then the algorithm will pick up and give you messages that, you know, help you believe what you already are. But even the wording in of. those messages is going to be built to go deeper than what you're thinking it's going to do. But yeah, let's back is. out of the conspiracy too much because I have a good <laughs> segue into a next topic here. I want to know Mark's opinion on this because from a lot of your videos, it's always about someone trying to control someone else, a group of people trying to control another group of people. That's even what we're talking about here. Do you think that this control over our monetary system goes back to the early 1900s when the Fed started or at Jekyll Island, or does this go back before that? I think it goes back from the beginning of time. I mean, beginning so? of time. I mean, because sure. uh, unfortunately, the majority of people are not like this, but there's some people that just want to control others. And they want to, in your homeowners association, and they want to tell everybody in the homeowners association what to do. And then there's people at the, at the parent teachers, the PTA, and they want to tell what other parents to do. And then uh, the city level, and the, I mean, every level there's full of people. And, and that's what it, uh, people that are attracted to politics are people that want to tell people what to do. And so since the beginning of time, people have always tried to control others. And they've always tried to control it through the money, right? Because money is the ultimate form of power. Right. And so, you know, from the beginning of time, the goldsmiths controlled the money basically. And so um, it's been, it's been going and, and, and this, this, you, you mentioned the early 1900s, the central bank, but central banking actually started in the 1700s back in, in England. So right. it's been going on for hundreds of years. That's true, with the bank and this is just a continuation of that. You know, Mayor Rothschild famously said, um, I care not who makes a nation's laws or give me control over a nation's money. And I care not who makes, who makes the laws. The laws. Yep. And, and, and that's exactly where these NGOs are. They don't care about the governments and who makes the laws because they control the money. Right. And so really what this pushes, in my opinion, is um, it's about control. And that's really where we'll jump into some dangerous topics here. But that's really where the whole climate change movement started from, because um, I can't really take over the United States. Their military is too big. I can't take over each one of these countries. But if I could make them start believing in this climate change and start um, altering what they do basically i can take over their energy right if i can take over their energy now i can control those countries and so this is just like the next level which of course now they're wrapping them together because now covid is also meant the pandemic now is to address climate change as well now the federal reserve of the united states just said that now um, in addition to their normal um, policies which was stabilizing the economy which was uh, trying to get full unemployment now they said it's also to fight racial and gender inequality and climate change so right. how does the federal reserve when all they have is money at their disposal and now they're going to fight climate change so it's all wrapping together um and so back to your point it's not conspiratorial they have it right on their website and they tell you exactly what it is and people ask me like why would they tell you and i just say because they're so bold they don't care anymore they don't, they don't you know. do you think that the i mean they just 
a couple of minutes ago passed the House vote. They're going to do this vote tonight for the $600 stimulus check. I think that that could even be seen as a form of control. Don't you agree? Like $600 stimulus nine months into the pandemic when you have record unemployment, record people uh, not paying their rents and their mortgages, $600. That's a form of almost control, isn't it? For sure it is. I mean, it's uh, no different than an animal that you would just, you know, start feeding and then they can't feed themselves on their own anymore. So right. uh, it, it's certainly a step in that direction. Um, but I, but it's, but it's bigger. And, and, and like I said, their stated goal is by 2030, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. So how do they get us from a world where everybody, well, you know, especially in the United States, we have private property. How do they get us to the point where you, nobody owns anything in what, 10 years, less than that in less than 10 years. Right. So how, how do you do that? How can you, I don't know. Well, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty simple. And, and okay. again, it, it's on their website. They tell you, so they have the IMF mm -hmm. and the IMF is a central bank above all the central banks. So each right. country kind of has their own central bank. And then the IMF is kind of above that. It's a little bit simplistic, but that's basically what it is. So they on their website, they called for the Bretton Woods two moment. You already kind of referenced that they, they call for the Bretton Woods two moment. And so what they said, we can dig into that later, but on their website, what they said is that because of the pandemic, all the whole world shut down simultaneously. And so right. this is where people think, oh, this is conspiratorial. How could one organization rule the whole world? Well, look what the WHO did. They got the entire world to lock down. Now the UN says that there's going to be like two and a half billion people will die of starvation because of this. So like, I don't know how many people we think we're saving, but we're killing, we know we're killing two Way and a half billion more. people. So right. what, the, what the IMF said, again, on their website, they said that uh, because of the pandemic and the global lockdowns, about 5% of global GDP has been lost. It's about $15 trillion. Now, a lot of these countries, they're dying. They're literally dying. They're literally starving to death because there's no tourism. There's no, there's no economy, right? Right. And so no, no, don't worry. Don't worry. The IMF has their back. Here's money. Here's loans. Oh, you need a hundred billion? No problem. Oh, you want 500? No, no problem. Oh, billion? No, no, no problem. No problem. Well, how are they going to pay it back? Oh, don't worry about that either. We have a special loan forgiveness program. See how that starts working? Interesting. You start, cr you start crushing people. Right. Them and then money. giving them a handout. And then and that then makes them tie to you forever. Yep. yep. Exactly. Yep. With my, my, you made me think of a, something that's interesting with this, um, new 900, what is it? $900 billion relief package, right? For this 600 stimulus. And we don't need to go too deep into this, but I saw they're giving hundreds of millions of dollars to other countries. Now it's one thing for us to sit here and talk about giving airlines a, uh, by uh, like bailing out the airlines, even though they bought back their own shares over the last couple of years, separate conversation. Why would we give hundreds of millions of dollars to Saudi Arabia or Israel during this pandemic when we have people here struggling? Is that just, again, government shit going on under the, under the table that, we, that they just put through and well, doesn't even have to it, be justified? It, I, I, just, I just recorded a video that's going to come out tomorrow on this topic, so I have all that stuff off the top of my head right now. But um, okay. it's a little bit misleading, and I didn't really break this down in my video, but um, what they did is in, in addition to the stimulus bill, they also passed the budget bill. Okay. And so a lot of that stuff was already in the budget. Got it. So it's separate so, from the stimulus. But, but they put it together because the American people, screw the government, shut it down. What do I care? Like right. what, what, what do any of us even care if the government shuts down? How would our life be any different? Shut right. it down. What do right. I care? Like, right. good luck, right? But so, so if they were like trying to pass this budget, dude, the American people are freaking fed up. I, you, you shut my business down? 
I and now you want to pass your budget? Right. Shut the freaking government down, right? So they right. knew they couldn't pass that. So it's like, oh, but the stimulus, well, we're going to give you 600 bucks if you pass our budget. Of course, we just gave ourselves a $200,000 pay raise. Right. So don't, don't, don't worry about that. You don't here's have to your, look at that fine print. Here's right. your 600 bucks. Oh, but the 600 bucks is only if you make less than 75K. For me, I don't make any, I don't get any money. So whatever. But so anyway, that's why that stuff was in there because it was right. actually two together. Got it. But to Got put it. this into like a little bit of perspective, again, like this is top off my head. I just recorded the video. Please. So whenever they pass a bill like this, first of all, when bills get put forth like this, just yeah. blanket statement, politicians don't write these bills. Lobby groups write bills. They write the bills. They give them to the politicians to put their names on. So if the lobby group is writing the bill, who do you think is really getting their end of it, right? So there's that. But um, what they do is whenever they pass a bill like this, they just stuff it full of crap. And then they argue over forever. And then it has to be approved in the last minute. If we don't approve this tonight, the right. year's going to end and there's no stimulus. Right. Like everyone's going to go home. Like you have to do this right now. But there's so much crap in here. Don't you think people should look at it? So anyway, for perspective, this bill – is over 5,500 pages. I know. I saw them wheeling it on a cart. Now, let me put that into perspective for you. First of all, how the heck can they need 5,000 pages to talk about big stimulus? They can't. <laughs> in, Mar in March, the stimulus bill that was passed in March had so much bloat in there. It was insane. It was about 1,200 pages. Wow. And this is almost five times that. <laughs> That is crazy. So in you addition, you can only wonder had, what's uh, sliding through that. You know what I mean? What's sliding through the cracks? Well, let you me know? tell you. So they said, yeah. uh, so one was uh, a bill that directs the secretary of state to establish a U.S. consulate in Tibet. That might be good. That might be bad. I don't know. But like, should we discuss that somewhere else? Does it have to be in the stimulus? How about, uh, how about on page 3555, secretary of energy has to prepare a report that estimates the magnitude of excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Okay. I mean, that's a conversation we should probably have, but did it need to be passed here? How about, and then there's the 700 million to Sudan, 500 million to Israel, 450 yeah, million to Ukraine, yeah. 1.3 billion to Egypt. Yeah. So we, you know, we give 600 bucks to the people, but 1.35 to, uh, to, to Egypt. How about this? How about 10 million for gender programs in Pakistan? That's crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> how about, how, how about, how about, uh, set aside funds to investigate the 1908 Springfield race riot. Oh my gosh. What the hell? Oh, no, no. It gets better. It gets better. I just have a couple more. Uh, how about um, a lengthy subsection titled the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act of 2020? Oh my where, goodness, man. Where in that act, they create a committee to regulate performance enhancing drugs in horse racing and they make it illegal to give horse races painkillers before training or racing. Because that's super important in a stimulus. Super wow. important. I'm so glad. Mark, Horse, horses' rights. Mark, <laughs> I have about, a question. Yeah. So, I, can, I can go on, but we don't need to. <laughs> so obviously those are all ridiculous. But so we're printing this money essentially, and Austin was touching on how we're offshoring it and giving it to other countries. Do you think that's a way of offshoring our inflation? Because I feel like if we had all this capital and it's just staying here stagnant within our nation – we would see inflation much faster at a much larger scale. But if we're able to offshore it to all these other countries in like Nostro Vostra's accounts and leave it dormant and over there, we're basically offshoring our inflation. Is that something or? 
Well, I mean, they definitely they're when they print the dollars, they're pushing inflation offshore. So those countries suffer because they're they see it big time. For sure. But I don't sure. I don't think it's like it's not it's not part of the policy or the plan. Like, hey, let's hide inflation and stick it over there. I think that's more of an un- unintended consequences of what happens. Um, like I said, this is stuff that's just in the budget, and it got the budget uh-huh. got approved with the stimulus, and it all just gets pushed through. But when yeah. we're so right now this year. Um, and for next year, our deficit, so the amount of money we have to spend, is double the amount of money we're bringing in. So we're, we're, we're about at $3.2 trillion in the hole next year. How so long we can to- we run at that? You know what I mean? Like, oh. how long can we run at this deficit? Well, well I mean, that's, that's, that's- That is the that's, question. That's the million-dollar that, question. That, that's the question, right? I had a podcast with Lou Grauman this morning, and we kind of talked about that, that exactly. But I mean, not forever. The reason why is you kind of have two different economic schools of thought, right? You have like Keynesian economics, which believes in just printing, printing, printing. And that goes into like MMT, modern monetary theory, where they can just print unlimited. But then you have like Austrian economics. Right. And the thing is, the thing is, is that there are natural laws that could be bent like for a little bit, but eventually natural laws win. And so what I mean by that is that you can't, Money isn't wealth. No. Money measures wealth. Money helps you acquire wealth. Wealth is goods and services. That's right. wealth. So they can keep printing unlimited amounts of money, but all they do is continue to distort and distort and distort even more. And eventually the natural laws will come back into play. Now, how long can that go on? I mean, it's gone way longer than, than pretty much anyone thought it could. Right. Um, and at this point, I mean, it could keep going for a while longer. I don't think that much longer. I mean, there's just, no. it, it can't go that much longer because now there's an option for people to get out of this, get off this ride. And there wasn't before. And so everyone was kind of in this captured system. Are you talking um, about but, crypto, Bitcoin? Well, uh, yeah. So I'm definitely talking about Bitcoin. Um, and, and I think that's a big option. And obviously that's going to take some time, but there's a couple things. So one, um, our debt levels are just completely unsustainable. Two, what, what's led to every single um, revolution throughout history is populism. It's, it's the people uprising. And it's because right. of, it's because of, uh, it's because of the, I, I don't want to say income inequality, but it's because it's been tough for people to live. When people can't, people can take all kinds of abuse, but when they can't feed their family, they're done. Like that's right. like, they can take anything, but when they can't feed their family, they will do anything. And so, Pre, pre-pandemic, there was eight countries in the world simultaneously with over a million people each marching. Now, the pandemic shut that off almost immediately because now you can't go outside. Right. That's a little bit coincidental, but we'll, we'll talk about that. But today, it's all starting back up again, and people are pissed all over the world. In the United States, you know, 40 years ago, it took 23 weeks for the average family to have the American dream, a house, a car, wow. education, kids, et cetera. 23 weeks, 23 wow. weeks of pay. Today, it takes 53 weeks of pay. The problem is, the problem is there's only 52 weeks in a year. Right, that's what I was gonna say, but that, that is such an interesting measure of that statistic. You know what I'm saying? Like I've never heard it measured that way before. That is really yeah, interesting. When you look at this kind of going back to our idea of like control and where you were saying how like you keep them down, you give them a little something and then they can, you can kind of control them once you're in that position, right? That's the power position. Does the fall, I mean, the dollar right now is at 90 even just about the dollar index. As that continues to move lower, we broke 90 last week. It probably will touch 80, maybe 2021, 2022. Who knows, right? Peter Schiff says it's going to go to 60 next week. But 
as we see that dollar continue to slide, do you see the Fed stepping in and saying, hey, here's a digital coin, a digital dollar? Because we know that that's coming. We know that some type of, you, uh, what's the acronym? The federally, the federal digital currency? CBDC, central CBDC. Yeah. Yes. So we know that the, they're developing them. We know that they're testing them in multiple countries, Sweden, like tons of European countries have already China's tried China's fully implemented. Right. So do we see like the value of the dollar going down? I guess this is where I get into my nerdy questions with you, Mark. Does the dollar keep going down and then they step in and say, hey, we're going to save the dollar, turn in your dollars. Here's this Fed coin. Enjoy. We're going to keep you uh, safe and happy this way. Oh, you crossed the street wrong. Give me a little bit of money though. You know what I mean? Is that where we're headed? Um, I don't think I don't think that's the catalyst for it. So um, you mentioned the dollar going down. So like the Dixie, the DXY, the dollar index, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So what what people people have been purposely information has been purposely withheld from people and even been lied to about money. So nobody has any idea about this. So they've what they've done back to the NLP is they've dumbed us down. So we're very easily susceptible to hypnosis. For sure. And I know hypnosis sounds like a weird word. I'm not talking about being told to quack like a duck, but they've definitely subconscious so, programming. Right. So, so in regards to money, the Dixie, the DXY, right? That's the dollar strength compared to a basket of other currencies. Okay. Those other currencies that's fiat. What mm. really matters. And most people don't pick this up. What really matters is purchasing power, right? That's what matters. Purchasing power. So back to the weak, weak example, right? So yeah. you're making more dollars per hour today than you were in the 23 weeks um, example, but the purchasing power of those dollars has fallen so far. I can't live anymore. Right. So to your example, it doesn't really matter where the Dixie's at because whether it's at 60 or whether it's at hundred, because that's only measuring strength to other fiat currencies, right? What really matters is it's purchasing power. Does that make sense? So no, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. So so the so the central bank rolling out a digital currency, a CBDC. Um, I don't see that as being like, hey, the currency's failed. Here, try this instead. I don't think people will accept that because it's fake money, right? So I, they're gonna they're gonna roll that out regardless of where the Dixie's at, right? So I, I right. would imagine they're they're working on it as fast as they possibly can. And we know that in the stimulus bill, they already put in the in the first stimulus bill that was stuffed full of pork. Um, pork is what we call that extra garbage they put in there. Um, they already put in a bill where the banks have to have the ability to give digital wallets out to people. So they'll start, they'll start using that to give out stimulus. So, Hey, you want the next round of stimulus? Um, download your wallet and then we'll just put the money right in there. So I think it's going to be more about a way they're going to get money directly to the people. That's going to be the benefit. Hey, it's going to take you six weeks of paperwork to get the stimulus or download the app and we'll give it to you right now. So right. probably a little bit of a more of a carrot approach. That's what they did in China. They rolled it out October 12th. Um, so probably be a little bit more like that, be my opinion. Do you yeah. think that that is a step towards more control overall though, is this Fed coin? And does that ever replace dollars? Or do you see us having Bitcoin, Fed coins, and dollars all at once at some point? Um, well, hundred percent is for con control. I mean, money, yeah. money is always about control for sure. Right. And, right. and, uh, and, a, and a digital currency is the best way that they could ever Easiest control way. people yeah. because yeah. as we said, like money is power. Right. And so, um, if I can control that, so, um, I think it's a move to power now, 90% of all transactions are already digital. Right. I mean, I hardly ever deal with cash. Me I use either. my debit cards and my credit cards yeah. and wire. Right. Yep. So like I almost hardly never deal with cash anymore. So, so it's, it, so it's already digital money, but the central bank digital money is different because it's programmable. 
right? And so that that's different, and that's why they want to they want to do that to 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 control us. But it's also even worse than that. So right now, if you understand the way money is, when I say money, when I talk about currency, dollars are created. They're created through debt. We're in a debt-based economy. So what that means is um, we're on like this fractional reserve banking system. So I deposit my money in the bank and then they loan it back out. When they, so, but when they loan it out, they create new money. So the yep. way it works is people say the central bank's printing money. Well, the central bank doesn't really print money. What they do is they give reserves to the commercial banks. And then those commercial banks create loans off of those reserves. So the, so the Fed gives them a dollar. Now they can make $10 worth of loans. That $10 right. now is debt, but it's money in the system. But it just but came the, out of nowhere too. It just came oh. out of nowhere. But the banking system, this is an important piece. The banking system is a little bit decentralized. So like in my town, I have like local farmers and merchants banks. I have like yep. local community banks. And then we got the Wells Fargo's, the Bank of America's. And then we have like more international banks. Right. And then you have central banks. So there's like all these levels of banks. And so like yeah. my local community bank, I go over there and like, Hey, uh, I want to launch a, um, avocado business. And he's like, avocados aren't going to grow here. That's the worst idea I've ever heard. I'm not loaning you money. Or they could say, actually, avocados are hot here. I think that, right. So they know me, they know the area. It's like a local decision if they want to give that loan or not. Sure. Right. That's an important piece. He knows me. He knows my business. He decides. My local banker decides if they want to create that money or not. Right. What they want to do is they want to roll that up. So we have me, the local bank, the, the national bank, the international bank, the central bank, the government, and then the IMF. If the IMF rolls out their central bank digital currency, I can have a wallet with, this, with the IMF. The IMF can send Mark money directly and just whoosh, compress the whole stack. Wow. What would that do for the federal government? Like, why would the federal government want that? Why would all these they won't central want banks? That. Right. That's what I'm saying. They would never want that, right? Well, they won't, but the bankers do. Mm, interesting. The bankers what, do. Who, who, what, who controls the thing? The one that makes the law is the one who controls the money. The money, right. So, so, the bank, is, so it's, a, it's a takeover. The, bank, the bankers are taking over the world. In 2030, you'll own nothing. Who owns it? The banks. Then. Right, right. right. Interesting. The bankers, the bankers right, own right. the world. Right, right. With <laughs> with that idea of programmable money, Mark, can you give me a little bit more context to that? Because I've seen it on a couple of your videos. I know you were talking recently to a couple of your uh, interviewees with that. What is programmable money? Is it that central bank coin? Is that specifically what you're referring to? Well, it's it's basically everything, and and uh, we probably can only barely scratch the surface of where it goes. But for example, when they gave the stimulus out in the summer, the whole point of giving the stimulus was out was to have people go spend it. Right. To and they did to stimulate the economy. But what people did is they saved it. Saved it. Yeah. They, so the, or or they invested it into Robinhood. So right. like <laughs> that that's not what they wanted, right? So they can program it and they can say, hey, here's your twelve hundred bucks, Austin, but whatever you don't spend by the end of the week comes back to me. Now they can, oh, or you can spend it here, here, here. You can't put it on Robinhood. You can't use it here, but you can use it right. here, 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 right? So they Control. can program how it's used, but it, then it gets even worse and scarier than there from there because then it gets into like behavioral finance. So for example, hey, Austin, uh, you're not saving enough money. So here's 5% interest on all the money that you save. Hey, Mark, you're hoarding way too much money. You have a negative 5% rate on your money. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Could oh, you you're, that? oh, you're, you're a minority. You're black. We need to, you know, so now you get this extra treatment. Oh, you like, and everybody gets treated differently 
based off of whatever policies they're trying to promote. Now, of course, all this is pushed in the name of equality, but this is right. the in inequality. Yeah, absolutely. Have. And yeah. so they could, they could look at minority groups and ethnic groups and all this, you know, intersectionality that, you know, divide the, like Matthew was, we were talking the other day about whoever's the most oppressed, right? We were talking about that. I think, right. Whoever's the most oppressed, they get extra treatment. And then, you know, uh, white males get, you know, nothing or whatever. So, right. Like I said, it's, it's hard for us to imagine. I mean, uh, uh, we can see it like in China, they have what's called the social credit system. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you say something wrong on social media, you lose a couple of credit points. And then if you lose too much credit, you're not able to go on to the train or buy tickets, things like that. It's crazy. So all that could be tied into money where, yeah. you know, um, oh, you said something wrong, bing, we ding your account. Like, right. But that's what they're, that's where I got my, yeah. my, what I said about the crosswalk thing. That's what they do in China there too. You know what I mean? If you jaywalk, they're putting your name on a board and all that stuff. It's, it, it's really crazy. Do you feel that because of all this uncertainty, Bitcoin is the best hedge against all? everything right now it's still going into 2021 do you still feel that way even at all-time highs so this is going to be a little bit over the top for most people um that's but, why we're uh, here mark but uh but i've been Firing studying over the top I, i've been studying this stuff for a really long time i mean i kind of grew up i kind of grew up in a household like this and so i've been studying it a long time mm -hmm. um i believe that bitcoin is the only hope that we have for the future yeah, you said that already. And, and, the crazy. And, the, and, and the reason why I say that, so I'll break this down. So the reason why I say that is because we can talk about socialism or communism or fascism or capitalism and all these isms. And communism and fascism and socialism, we can argue about that. Uh, the WF, they're not talking about either of those, but it's obviously that's what they're trying to push, right? Uh, co communism is a utopia that we never get to social socialism is the gateway to communism communism is is a commune we live in a commune nobody owns anything we share everything so that's what communism is so when the wf says we own nothing you'll be happy does that sound like a commune right so that's what so anyway we have all these different flavors really we have two economic models that's it two i try to break everything down simple we have mm -hmm. one it's a free open competitive market or we have a closed, controlled, centrally planned. That's it. Right. So fascism, socialism, communism, those are all centrally planned. Or capitalism could be like a free open, right? So here's the thought process. We are moving into this world where we are continuing to see this totalitarian you know, cover just dropping down. Technology with, between social media and all these things, censoring what we say and brainwashing us, what we think, um, our money, everything, right? It's just continuing to get more and more control. Why would that change? We know human nature. We know humans are always going to want to control more. We know that. It's been that way through history. Now we're giving them the tools to create the perfect prison. Uh, Huxley, he was, uh, he was along with George Orwell that wrote 1984. And I, re I, I tweeted one of his quotes the other day. It was actually a letter from Huxley to George Orwell. And I'm going to paraphrase. I don't remember the quote off the top of my head. But he said that countries will realize that it's much better to indoctrinate and brainwash kids as they grow up rather than using boots and jail cells or whatever. So we could create this prison for them almost like a matrix. And that's kind of, so that's the world we're moving into. And what would change that? What, how will we break that? At some point they'll have such control over us. Stay distanced. You're not allowed to talk anymore, right? Everyone has to be socially distanced. So now we're all having to talk over, over the internet, but now they're censoring yeah. everything that we say. So how can we share ideas? How can we have free speech? How can we organize? Mm -hmm. We can't, right? So they can create this, 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 this prison, right? So how do we break that? Well, I believe the only thing that will break that 
is competition. Right. Competition is the key for everything. That's why it's so important to have that free open market competition. So when we have competition, so when another country, when Malta says, hey, come over here, you can live free. You don't have to wear a mask. You can have a business. You can, have, you can be married and eat, and eat meat. Like, I'll go there, right? And then a lot of rich people start going there. And then another country's like, shoot, look at Malta. They just picked up all these people. Well, hey, we're also free over here. And then people will go there. And it will be that, 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 that competition that makes these countries go, shoot, I guess we can't just create this totalitarian nightmare because people are going to leave. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's, why, here's where Bitcoin fits into this. So again, I'm pretty old. I grew up under the Cold War. I grew up when we still had the Cold War, I, you know, uh, the Berlin Wall, all that. And I had friends whose family had come from Afghanistan, had come from Iran. One of my best friend's families uh, came from South Africa. And when they came, they left oppression to come to America because it was free, right? And lots of people escaped um, oppression to come to a free country. The problem was when they came, they came penniless. They couldn't get their gold out. They couldn't get their real estate out. They couldn't get their money out of the banks. They came penniless. And it was very difficult for them to come and start all over. All right. So, um, for example, um, in, in the Cayman Islands, they're living completely free. There's no lockdowns. There's no masks. There's no nothing there. But guess what? There's no commercial flights or, or cruise ships that go in there either. If you want to go there and live free, the only way to get there is by private charter. So you need a couple hundred, you know, 10, 20 grand to fly there. If, if that, you, know, you need probably a hundred grand. Well, how can I do that if I have no money? If my country won't let me get any money? I could be the richest person in the world, but if I can't take it with me, what do I do? Well, with Bitcoin, I can know 12 words in my head. I can fly to that country or I can swim to that country. I can plug them into a computer and have all my money. There's, no, there's nothing in history that's ever allowed us to do that before. And I believe it's the competition that frees us, but what enables the competition is the ability to go with my money, to be sovereign as a man and hold my wealth in an unconfiscatable way. And only Bitcoin offers that. Yeah. I'm going to quote you here, Mark. You brought up the word competition a lot. And one thing he always says, and it sticks with me because I end up saying it all the time now too, is competition brings better service, better products, and better prices. Yeah. And that is, it's you true. couldn't phrase that in a better way. Nope. And the way he just exam made an example of countries becoming competitive over owning a society, essentially, you know, having people drive a traffic, driving an economy, there would be so many incentives that would make us flee from where we are now, like the, the few he gave. So I have two questions for you, Mark, because that was very, very well said first. Second, for someone young like me, when you talk about all this stuff, and I don't think you're that old at all, but when you'd say like, I'm old, then I'll say I'm young. Do you think it's smart for people like me and Matt to say, hey, maybe the United States isn't the best place for me to be looking to build my empire and build my future because of what's coming? Like, do I want to get into real estate here in a country that might slowly continue to cramp down on my rights? Do you think for younger guys like us, it's worth it? if you're making a little bit of change to consider maybe there's better life outside the U S since we have so much time ahead of us. Just curious I, on your thoughts. I would definitely say yes to that. Um, yeah. because you know, you, you, the problem is, is, uh, our world has shifted us to short-term thinking. Yeah. Bitcoin starts to shift us back to long-term thinking, but every, all good decisions come with long-term thinking, right? So mm -hmm. like I know Matt's super into fitness, right? And so like fitness is long-term thinking, like, 
I want to live. I want to, I want to live till I'm a hundred. I don't want to die of cancer. So that affects what I eat today. Right. Right. As opposed to all these people that are just gorging on ice cream and, and pizza and they're all overweight. Now they're worried about the coronavirus and they're dying. Right. So <laughs> it's, about, it's about, it's about having that long-term perspective. So, um, the U S is still really good. Yeah. I don't want to paint this picture like it's horrible. So it's still a great life. And so, um, for me, I've been ready. I'm in eyeing exits because at some point I'm probably going to have to make an exit. And actually we just talked about, I'm actually leaving the country on January 1st. Um, but that's for tax reasons. Again, they're chasing me out of the country. And right. so we're seeing, we're seeing competition play out in real time. And so this isn't some like far off, like fantasy land in California, as you already mentioned, I think maybe before we started recording, lots of the high profile people have left California. Mm-hmm. Hollywood's pretty much left California. We just saw, um, um, Oracle just announced they're leaving California. They were the last big company in California. Everyone's leaving really? and they're going to states that don't have taxes. Right. And so already we're seeing that play out within states. So we're already seeing you just it. think it gets bigger. And it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it goes from states competing to now countries competing. Um, but anyway, back to, your, back to your question. If you have a long enough term perspective, it might be. For me, because I have kids, I'm like, shoot, I don't really know if I want to take them. But I've often thought it might be better for them to grow up in another country. That might be better. Really? But that's, a, that's, a, that's a real tough question. Um, no, I was just curious on your thoughts because I think it is something that's coming. Like, Not only is it today minus coronavirus, it's now easier than ever to pick up your life if you have a digital business like we do and you can just travel and go work in Estonia if you want to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not only that, but it's also, I think, just being talked about more. So it's kind of like an idea. Like you said, you program the kids, you program the future. You, you plant this idea, you start getting people thinking, hey, I still have 50 years of working. Why would I not want to go somewhere where I'm treated best. There's a guy on YouTube I like. His name is Andrew Henderson, the nomad capitalist. I don't know if you've ever seen him, but that's what he talks about. Go where you're treated best. So like you said, the competition, it's interesting because at first you don't realize what competition does, but it really weeds out the people that are free market focused and the ones that aren't. But then in the longer term of that bigger, like you said, bigger picture competition, you get to see who's going to duke it out and who's going to match their thoughts with their actions and really incentivize people, you know? So my yeah. final question for you, Mark, because we covered so many things. And Matt, I want your input on this too. Right now, because Matt, we've talked about this a lot. Gold is under $2,000 an ounce at $1,879. Mark, if you don't mind first, what do you think your, or what is your time horizon on gold in the next, I would say, not what's your time horizon. What is your price forecast in the next two to four years with gold? Do you see it matching Bitcoin and continuing to move up? Um, it's definitely not going to match Bitcoin for sure. Um, you don't think so? We don't know. We don't. We don't know for sure, right? The future, we don't know. And so sure. we obviously we place our bets with our money based off of where we think things are going and the probabilities that we assign to them. So that being mm-hmm. said, there's nothing in the world that gives me hope like Bitcoin. There's nothing that I'm more bullish on. But even that, I'm not putting 100 percent of my money into it. Like even with that, right? So um, I do like gold. I think gold is uh, is the trade of the decade. Um, well, Bitcoin really is, but um, gold and Bitcoin. But I think gold. Maybe he's, you know, 2,300, 2,500, maybe, you know, by this time next year, mid next year. But in your uh, mind, you see Bitcoin hitting 100K before you see gold hitting 10K? Yeah, for sure. You think so? Yeah, I would say. Again, I'm I'm not putting it. No, 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 for sure. No investment advice. Even even with that conviction, I'm still not putting 100% of my money into it. Um, So I I think think Bitcoin, I mean, I think gold is 2,300, 2,500 here in the next six, eight months. Um, Yeah. I think that gold could easily be four or $5,000 in the next 24 months. 
And I say that because in 2008, um, the stock market sold off about 50%, 60%, stock sold yep. off about 25%. But the response to that was the government put in a bunch of money and that propelled um, gold higher. And gold climbed from 680 in, in 2009 to about um, 1900 in 2011. And right. that was on about a trillion dollars of stimulus. Okay, so it was about so, a trillion dollars drove it from 680 to, to 2000. Today, or this, this year we spent six, six trillion in stimulus. And so even if we just had the same size move as 2008, right. even if the same size move, that pushed gold to over 4,000, but we've right. had a 6X move. So we could have a 6X increase, but I think, I think 4 or 5K over the next couple of years is probably pretty realistic. Do you think it's a stupid way to, this is a small side question. Matt said this to me actually, and it got me thinking in just an interesting state of mind. Are we seeing gold along with some asset, if not all asset prices, really going up because more dollars are in circulation. So if there's more units of the currency that these things are priced in, gold and stocks, then because there's more units, the prices naturally go up. Is that fair to think? All right, so hold on. So what I actually, that's the right idea. But what I actually said is, I don't actually think that these assets are really pumping the way they are. I actually think it's the dollar getting weaker in comparison to the asset. Therefore, we have higher asset prices. You know, like yeah. a lot of things face value is not what it seems. I right. think we're in a full-blown recession, just not in numeral terms. I think a lot of things, and I do think that assets are at X amount of prices because we have a crashing dollar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with Matt on that, right? I mean, it's uh, and I kind of touched on it earlier. It's a, it's, you have to shift your thinking and it's not that houses got more expensive or gold got more expensive. Right. It's that it's the other it takes side more this. dollars yeah. to buy those things yes. today. And so yeah. that's why I said it really comes down to thinking of things in purchasing power. Yeah. So okay. instead that's, of, cause, that's because, I mean, you're a trader, right? So you're always trading one thing for another. I'm right. trading dollars for euros. I'm trading dollar for gold. And then I'm trading the gold back to Bitcoin, right? You're always trading one or the other. You can only hold one thing at a time. Right. And so um, you have to think about the, in, like a fraction, the denominator and the denominator. And so when you denominate it in, in, in dollars, you see one thing, but if you denominate in gold or Bitcoin, you see another see thing. A different thing. And so ultimately, yeah. yeah, it comes down to the, uh, the purchasing power. Like, uh, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but like, say like 1950, the median home price in the United States was like $50,000. Yeah. Today, the median home price in the US is $300,000. Wow. Homes went up a lot in 50 years or six, six, 70 years, right? Well, in 1950, the, uh, that median home price of 50000 was $50,000, but it was... 47 barrels of oil and it was right. 12 ounces of gold today the median home price is through 250 or $300,000 but it's the same barrels of oil and it's the same ounces of gold just different yeah. dollars got just it just not dollars so it's still priced the same in other things now of course throughout the years it, it, it moves a little bit but that's how you look at it in in purchasing power it's a really yeah. good way to approach that's it. And I feel like now going forward, because I do look at the dollar index a lot. I'm going to, what, what number, or is there any indicator that you look at for purchasing power in particular, Mark? Well, you, you just like you look at any chart, right? So you would look at, um, I could look at Bitcoin priced in dollars. I could look at Bitcoin priced in euros. I could look at Bitcoin right. priced in gold, right? right. So right. when you're looking at those things, look at, look at the stock market. And there's plenty of, I mean, you're a trader, so I'm sure you can find it easy, but you can find the stock, uh, stock priced in um, gold. Yeah. You can find the stock market priced in Bitcoin. So then that would, right. So then you I can look see, at that. okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So just that start to look at him and other things outside of fiat currency. Yeah. So the, the Forex market is just trading currencies and all the currencies are sliding against each other. Right. 
because because everything's a trade, you can look at everything price. I mean, pretty much anything priced in anything. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. what's crazy is if you look at any asset in the world priced in Bitcoin, whoo, right. man, it's eating the world. One one interesting thing that uh, Luke brought up on a, on a, on a show earlier today. Lou Grauman, he's a good uh, forecaster analyst, but uh, he was saying that, you know, in 1929, so we look a lot to the 1929 crash and look yep. at parallels of this crash that we're having here. Yep. But in 1929, the US dollar equaled gold. So the dollar, the dollar was backed by gold up until- One dollar is one ounce of gold. Well, no, it was $20 equaled one ounce 20. of gold. Got it. So in 1933, the government forced everyone to turn their gold in. Right. And they revalued it to $35. But for, for 200 plus years, $20 equaled one ounce of gold. So the point is, is in the crash of 1929, it wasn't a crash in US dollars terms, kind of what Matt brought up earlier about nominal terms. It wasn't a crash in dollars. That was a crash on gold, mm. which is a big difference. So right. now if you look at the stock market priced in gold today, that's how the stock market was back in 1929. So if you look at the stock market priced in gold today, you see a way different picture in the stock market than you do when you price it in dollars. That's interesting. I'm going to look that up. That's interesting. All right, good. Yeah. Well, listen, this has been a ton of good information, Mark. I know that you give not only to us, but to your own channel, to these other guys that you're doing interviews with, a lot of time to the internet community. So I think I'll speak for everybody on saying thank you because I think you bring fresh perspective, a lot of research, a lot of statistics, a little old age, not a lot, a little old age and some experience, but <laughs> yeah. it, it's been really good talking to you. I'm hoping that maybe we can continue to uh, get to know each other, maybe do some more videos in the future. But Matt, thank you for making the introduction, man. This has been awesome. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Mark. Matt, thank you for being here too. And for everybody watching, we appreciate you. We'll check you guys in the next video. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's money. If you want to check out the video that goes along with this episode, there's a link in the show notes. Now make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to so you don't miss any future episodes. And if there's anything that I can do to help you along your trading journey, please reach out to me. My contact info is in the description as well. Thank you very much and I'll see you in the next episode.